It's Thursday, September 21st. I'm Priyanka Arabindi. And I'm Josie Duffy Rice. And this is What a Day, where we applaud Senator John Fetterman's pledge to wear a suit on the Senate floor to save democracy. Plot twist, everybody. He only owns tan or plaid suits, and he only wears ties with little pineapples on them. But we are still cool with it. He can do whatever he wants. On today's show, President Biden launched a workforce training program to put young people to work in green jobs. Plus, a sign of hope has emerged in Lahaina. But first, Attorney General Merrick Garland testified before the Republican-led House Judiciary Committee yesterday. What was he there to testify about, you ask? Well, none other than the hot topic of the Justice Department's investigation of Hunter Biden. And it was basically a preview of what the Republican attempt to impeach President Biden will look like. I feel like I can imagine how it went, but tell me, was it very civil and calm and measured? It wasn't not civil, per se, but it was rather combative. Okay. These House Republicans, very combative, but it is surprising to see Attorney General Garland being combative. That is not usually his vibe. Yeah. Before we dive into all of this, I want to give everybody a quick refresher on the Hunter Biden situation that we have going on here. It's sometimes a little hard to keep track of amid everything else going on and also like all the lies that Republicans like to tell about it. Right. So earlier this summer, President Biden's son, Hunter, reached an agreement with the Department of Justice to plead guilty to two misdemeanor tax charges. And as part of the deal, he would accept terms that would let him avoid prosecution on a separate gun charge. Republicans were not a fan of this deal. They thought that he was getting off easy. And at the last minute, under scrutiny by a federal judge, that deal ultimately fell apart. It led to Hunter Biden later being indicted on those gun charges, and he faces up to 25 years in prison and $750,000 in fines. No joke on either front. It's bananas and also says a lot about our federal sentencing situation that that would even be possible. Seriously. So getting back to yesterday's spectacle in Washington, though, it was a pretty testy six hours of testimony, and most of which focused on Republicans' false claims that the DOJ is unfairly protecting President Biden and Hunter Biden because he is the president's son. They also say that he is getting special treatment because the DOJ works for his dad. That is how this deal happened. That's actually not how the Justice Department works at all. But it's a central facet of their attempt to impeach President Biden himself. We have more on that to look forward to later this month. Just already bracing myself, already looked at my calendar. I am here Mm. indeed on that day. So we'll be going through it together. Lucky, lucky you. But again, no evidence supporting this. Merrick Garland, of course, pushed back on this characterization, you know, that Hunter Biden is getting special treatment saying that he did not interfere or make any determinations in this case against Hunter. He stressed his own impartiality as attorney general. Take a listen to him in his own words. Our job is not to take orders from the president, from Congress, or from anyone else about who or what to criminally investigate. As the president himself has said, and I reaffirm today, I am not the president's lawyer. I will add, I am not Congress's prosecutor. It's funny to think of this in the context of the Trump years. This is exactly what I was thinking, Josie. Trump was like, you're my lawyer, right? Of course. They just assume that because Trump treated it that way, like everybody does. Like that is what's happening here. It's so wild. It is. It really is. Garland also repeatedly declined to answer questions from Republicans about how all of this went down internally at the DOJ or explain their decision making, both in this investigation and in the two federal indictments against former President Trump. That 
definitely pissed off these Republicans if they had it their way. They would impeach this man, too. I mean, it's probably coming. Wouldn't put it past them. But speaking of impeachments, like I mentioned earlier, House Republicans are holding their first impeachment inquiry hearing into President Biden very soon. It is on September 28th. They are expected to issue subpoenas to some of Biden's family members as early as this week. That includes Hunter himself, perhaps. So we have a lot to brace ourselves for, everybody. Just gird your loins. It's going to suck. It really is. Okay. In other news, the trial of two police officers accused of killing Elijah McClain began yesterday in Colorado. 23-year-old McLean was killed in 2019 when officers wrestled him to the ground and placed him in a chokehold. Paramedics then injected him with ketamine, and he had a heart attack and died three days later. You may remember the story, Priyanka. McLean was a violinist, a massage therapist, and he was like the sweetest, kindest guy ever. And his interactions with police were just like particularly heartbreaking. I mean, all of these stories are heartbreaking, but this one hit even harder than many of the others. Body cam audio caught him as he was being choked by officers saying, quote, I can't breathe. I have my ID right here. I was just going home. I'm an introvert. I'm just different. That's all. I'm so sorry. And he also said, quote, I have no gun. I don't do that stuff. I don't do any fighting. Why are you attacking me? All I was trying to do was become better. I will do it. I will do anything. Yeah. Elijah McLean's name, his face, his personal mm. qualities, I feel like are some that will stick out in my mind for probably the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. He seemed like a really gentle, mm -hmm. kind soul and met with just such a violent, traumatic end at the hands of police, like so many others, right. for no reason. It really is just a heartbreaking story and remains to this day. So tell us more about this trial. Who is on trial here and why did it take so long? It's been four years. You know, why have we waited this long to get to this point? It's a real example of how so many elements of the process work together to conceal police brutality. Right. First, the coroner ruled that McLean's cause of death was undetermined. That often happens in police brutality cases because coroners and law enforcement often have a really close relationship. And then, even after that, the local DA in Aurora, Colorado, where this happened, Dave Young, said he wasn't going to charge the police because there wasn't enough evidence that cops had broken the law. <sighs> I was under the impression that killing people was against the law. Yeah. Different rules for cops, as we already know. So after George Floyd's murder, there was all this renewed attention on the case, and Colorado Governor Jared Polis decided to appoint a special prosecutor. So in total, five people are being tried, three police officers and two paramedics. They face 32 counts. They've all pleaded not guilty, and they're being tried in three separate trials. So this first one is a trial of two of the three cops, and all five of them were indicted in 2021, which was two years after the case, and obviously now they're finally being tried. Of course, the police officers are being tried, but you said the paramedics are also being tried here as well. Can you explain why that is? What happened here was that the cops placed him in a chokehold. He had like a reaction to that. And then the paramedics showed up and they found McLean vomiting. He was suffering from a nosebleed due to the choking. He had already been rendered unconscious at least once. And the paramedics diagnosed McLean with excited delirium, which is, if you've never heard of it, that's because it's basically like junk science that is used by police and prosecutors to cover up bad behavior. So the gist of this like quote unquote condition, which is by the way, not a real condition at all. No. People get agitated to a point 
that they die. Which is so interesting because that does not really happen yeah. in the real world. Only yeah. if people are uh, in the custody of or, you know, around police officers. So yep. strange. So strange how that happens. Like you said, it's just this condition that pretty much exclusively occurs in police encounters. And it's been criticized and debunked by not just legal system experts, but actual medical experts. We're like, this is not how things work. Right. Not a thing. But the paramedics show up. They diagnose him with this excited delirium bullshit. And then they decide to inject him with enough ketamine for a 200-pound person, despite the fact that he weighed around 140 pounds. Soon after that is when he had suffered the heart attack. And that's why paramedics are also being tried here. Yeah, it's egregious. It's disgusting. I mean, not to mention that excited delirium kind of sounds like one of those things in old times that they would like diagnose women with. Yes. Like it sounds like hysteria Hysteria, a little bit. Exactly. That's exactly it. Stuff that we know is like just a crock of shit. Right. And it's like crazy because they've been diagnosing this for years. And for years, people have been like, okay, I guess it was excited delirium. Sure. And turns out that's not a thing. Mm -mm. It's worth noting that the fact that the paramedics are being tried as well makes this case even more complicated, right? Right. Because we can tell already from opening statements yesterday, it's clear that the cops' attorneys are going to make the argument that they didn't cause McLean's death, right? The paramedics caused McLean's death by injecting him with ketamine. Surely the paramedics are going to claim the same thing, right? That they're not the cause, but that the police are the cause. Right. It's basically going to be both parties, like, pointing a lot of fingers. Totally. What we do know is that the paramedics wouldn't have even been there had— the cops not tried to hold this 23-year-old kid in a chokehold. No, it absolutely seems like every person involved in this has some responsibility here. Yeah, exactly. So, of course, we will be following this trial and the two others, and we'll bring you more information as they play out. But that is the latest for now. We will be back after some ads. What a Day is brought to you by Fast Growing Trees. Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S., with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers. They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Plus, Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. We love Fast Growing Trees here I keep telling you that the many plants that I've gotten from these folks are yet hanging on. Um, And that's not because I have a green thumb, okay? This spring, Fast Growing Trees, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code WAD at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code WAD at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code WAD. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. What a Day is brought to you by Ulta Beauty. This AAPI Heritage Month, Ulta Beauty is celebrating the joy of belonging, belonging to a community composed of intricate connections, belonging to our past and our future, to the heritage and birthright that is beauty. Ulta Beauty shines a light on the AAPI community, passing the mic to brand founders and creators to tell their stories centered on heritage, joy, and beauty. They carry AAPI-owned and founded brands like Live Tinted, Peach and Lily, Glamnetic, Tree Hut, and more. Shop AAPI-owned and founded brands at Ulta Beauty stores and Ulta.com. 
What a day is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She absolutely deserves the best. And that's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, your wife, your auntie, even your granny, okay? Anyone who deserves flowers in your life mm-hmm. doesn't have to be holiday specific. You get flowers, you're getting flowers, <laughs> everyone's getting flowers. <laughs> Go to books.com and use promo code WAD for 25% off. That is B-O-U-Q-S dot com, promo code WAD, Books promo code WAD. Let's wrap up with some headlines. Headlines. Starting off with some news that broke late last night, the Biden administration said it will grant temporary protection for hundreds of thousands of Venezuelans who are already here in the U.S., The order will extend what is known as temporary protective status to Venezuelans who arrived in the country by the end of this past July. The designation, which already applies to nearly half a million other Venezuelan migrants, makes it easier for them to get work authorization in the U.S. This is a big deal and will allow migrants who are being housed in cities across the country to support themselves sooner. President Biden yesterday announced the launch of a new program to put more than 20,000 young adults to work in conservation, clean energy, and climate resilience jobs. The program, called the American Climate Corps, will provide paid training for a wide range of green projects, like managing forests to prevent wildfires, restoring land and waterways, and advancing environmental justice. Most of the positions won't require prior experience, and the administration is also pushing for new rules to make it easier for participants to get hired in federal public service roles. The announcement comes as President Biden is trying to drum up more support from young voters going into the 2024 presidential campaign, and it's a win for youth-led environmental activist groups like the Sunrise Movement, which have pushed and lobbied for a civilian climate corps. Take a listen to what Executive Director Varshini Prakash had to say about the initiative. Young people have been rallying and demonstrating and striking and sitting at policy tables and fighting for the future workforce that we need to stop the climate crisis. And we won. This is really exciting. These sound like really cool, interesting opportunities. Mm -hmm. People need jobs. And these actually sound like they will not only make a difference in our world, but also be really cool to actually do. So this is exciting. It is exciting. And now to Ohio, where the state Supreme Court ruled that the term unborn child can remain on an upcoming ballot referendum instead of the word fetus. So to get you up to speed on how we got here and what's at stake, Ohioans will be heading to the polls in November to vote on issue one, a referendum that could enshrine abortion protections into the state's constitution. And last month, abortion rights activists sued the state's GOP-led ballot board for switching out the word fetus for unborn child in that measure's summary, even though fetus is what's used in the full text of the amendment. Weird. The lawsuit said that the board's language, quote, aims improperly to mislead Ohioans. But in a ruling late Tuesday, the state Supreme Court rejected that argument and said that the ballot's language does not constitute, quote, improper persuasion. A spokesperson for Ohioans United for Reproductive Rights, the group that filed the lawsuit, said in a statement, quote, this should have been simple, but the Ohio ballot board tried to mislead voters yet again. Issue one is clearly and concisely written to protect Ohioans' right to make our own personal health care decisions about contraception, pregnancy, and abortion free from government interference. The actual amendment language communicates that right clearly and without distortion. I feel like this is particularly crazy because 
If you've ever dealt with a ballot amendment, a referendum, or like watch that process, the language of what's actually on the ballot goes back and forth between both sides a lot. It is extensive negotiation about this. So for the ballot board to just like decide to switch it up to language that's not even in the amendment is so wild. It really is, it's so crazy. Michigan Supreme Court just killed a last-ditch attempt to hold former state and city officials accountable for the Flint water crisis. On Wednesday, the court rejected a series of appeals that would have revived felony charges against seven people, including former Governor Rick Snyder. To refresh your memory, the crisis started back in 2014 when Flint city officials started using the Flint River as a water source to save money. Health officials at the time insisted that the water was perfectly fine to drink and didn't need to be treated. But as we know now, that was not the case. As a result, lead from old pipes leached into the drinking water supply for the majority black city for over a year. Tens of thousands of residents were exposed to dangerous amounts of lead, and at least a dozen people died from an outbreak of dangerous bacteria from the contaminated water. To this day, many residents continue to grapple with the long-term health issues stemming from the crisis, and prosecutors said that they are deeply disappointed by the decision, but are looking at other options, including sharing evidence of their findings with the public. A Moscow court ruled yesterday that American journalist Evan Gershkovich will remain behind bars. The court refused to hear an appeal against his pretrial detention, which means he will stay in jail until at least November 30th. It's the latest legal setback in the long battle for the Wall Street Journal reporter's release. Gershkovich was arrested by Russian authorities in March during a reporting trip. Russia's main security service, the FSB, accused him of trying to obtain state secrets, charges that Gershkovich, his employer, and the United States government have all vehemently denied. Now, this is the third time that his pretrial detention has been extended. If convicted, he could face up to 20 years in prison. The White House has even accused the Kremlin of holding him hostage, though the State Department has acknowledged that despite ongoing talks to free him, they do face an uphill battle. Gershkovich is the first American reporter imprisoned in Russia on espionage charges since the Cold War. I imagine he's terrified. It's awful. It needs to be a bigger deal. Mm -hmm. They are not even letting him do like an appeal against his pretrial detention. Yeah. And it's a real assault on the free press. It's very terrifying. And finally, a much needed sign of hope in the aftermath of the deadly Maui wildfires. The 150-year-old banyan tree in the heart of Lahaina town sprouted new leaves for the first time since the disaster. If you have ever had the privilege of visiting Lahaina, you have probably seen this tree before. It is one of the biggest banyan trees in the world, standing at 60 feet tall. The beloved tree was badly scorched during the fires with its trunk burned black and its leaves shriveled. Many residents were worried that it wouldn't survive. But about a week after the fires initially broke out, Arborists found signs that it was still alive. Locals sprang into action to nurse the tree back to health. They even rushed to deliver thousands of gallons of water to the tree every single day to help nourish its roots. And all that effort seems to have paid off. State officials posted a video this week showing new green leaves sprouting from its branches. While it's not guaranteed that the tree will make a full recovery, experts who have volunteered countless hours to care for the banyan say that it's a sign that it's definitely healing. Many locals see the banyan tree's resilience as a good omen for the community's recovery following the deadliest wildfire in modern U.S. history. 
yeah, we don't know if the tree will make a full recovery, but it really does feel like a sign to be hopeful about that there is still life there and Mm -hmm. growth after such a tragedy. It's hard to find any sort of like hope in this terrible, awful event, but there's something beautiful about the tree surviving. And those are the headlines. One more thing before we go. What if we told you that a powerful treatment for one of the deadliest diseases in human history is out there, but the patent for it has been held hostage by a pharmaceutical giant? On this week's episode of America Dissected, our friend Dr. Abdul El-Sayed talks to best-selling author and YouTuber John Green about how he is using his platform to hold greedy drug makers accountable. New episodes of America Dissected drop every Tuesday wherever you get your podcasts. That is all for today. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, hug an arborist, and tell your friends to listen. And if you're into reading and not just lawsuits over ballot referendums like me, What a Day is also a nightly newsletter. Check it out and subscribe at crooked.com slash subscribe. I'm Priyanka Arabindi. I'm Josie Duffy Rice. And And show show us the the suit, suit, Fetterman. Fetterman. I'm pro sweatpants everywhere. (laughs) Me too. And I feel it is Congress's duty to make sweatpants appropriate in the workplace. Normalize it for the rest of us. Truly. But I mean, if he's offering to wear like fun ties to work, I feel like he's a guy I would trust to take fun tie day seriously, but not too seriously. His clothes are chaotic in just the way we need. Exactly. What a Day is a production of Crooked Media. It's recorded and mixed by Bill Lance. Our show's producer is Itzi Quintanilla. Raven Yamamoto and Natalie Bettendorf are our associate producers. And our senior producer is Lita Martinez. Our theme music is by Colin Gilliard and Kashaka. I'm Jessica Reeves, and I've been analyzing and reporting on extremism for the last 10 years, and I have the gray hair to prove it. Subscribe to our podcast, Extremely, for an always eye-opening look inside the daily work of exposing, fighting, and disrupting all facets of extremism. My co-host, Oren Siegel, and I explore this ever-changing landscape and bring you stories of people and places impacted by extremism, those who fight to protect our communities, and those who offer new perspectives. You can find Extremely wherever you listen to podcasts. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.